All right. Well, today we're in week number four of a series called He Said What? Everybody say, He Said What? And what we're doing in this series is we're looking at some of the things that Jesus said. Obviously, if you have a red letter edition Bible, these are the words that are in red. Some of the things that Jesus said 2,000 years ago when he was on this earth that changed people's lives back then and that are still transforming lives today. Some of the things that we're looking at are stories or parables that he, that he told. Pastor Brad uh, did a wonderful job last week at talking about three of the parables in Luke chapter number 15. Uh, and then some of the things that he said weren't so much a story, but they were just profound statements that he said. And so we're looking at some of those things that, that he said and, and how they can be applied to our lives. And so today we're in Luke chapter number five. And if you have your Bible, I want you to go ahead and turn there. We're going to begin in reading in verse number 17. And if you don't have your Bible, you can follow along on the screen or your smartphone this morning. Just promise me that if I see you on your smartphone that you are reading the Bible. And not Instagramming or Snapchatting or Facebooking or, or whatever that is that you may be doing. Playing Candy Crush or whatever other games they have these days. All right, Luke chapter number 5, verse number 17 says this. One day while Jesus was teaching, some Pharisees and teachers of religious law were sitting nearby. It seemed that these men showed up from every village in all Galilee and Judea, as well as from Jerusalem. And the Lord's healing power was strongly with Jesus. Verse 18. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a sleeping mat. They tried to take him inside to Jesus, but they couldn't reach him because of the crowd. So they went up to the roof and took off some tiles. They then lowered the sick man on his mat, uh, mat down into the crowd right in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the man, Young man, your sins are forgiven. But the Pharisees and teachers of religious law said to themselves, Who does he think he is? That's blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus knew what they were thinking, so he asked them, Why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or stand up and walk? So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, Stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And immediately, as everyone watched, the man jumped up, picked up his mat, and he went home praising God. Everyone was gripped with great wonder and awe, and they praised God, exclaiming, We have seen amazing things today. Now, I, I want to tell you that, not just as a pastor, but as, as a Christian who's been in church pretty much all my life, I have read this story probably a hundred times. Uh, maybe exaggerating a little, but somewhere around a hundred times. I've preached on this story um, several times over the course of my years of ministry. However, I have never seen it and looked at it from this perspective of, of how I'm about to present it to you this morning. Typically, when you read this story or when someone preaches on this story or teaches on this story, we focus on the physical healing of this paralyzed man, and rightfully so. I mean, Jesus performed a miracle. For those of you who don't know what paralyzed mean, he's crippled, he can't move, he can't walk, he's paralyzed, he's immobile. And so for, for years probably, he's been this way, and Jesus heals him. I mean, he just, he's on this mat, this is, this is all he knows, and 
He spends every moment of the day on this mat. He's paralyzed and Jesus heals him. And a miracle happens. So a lot of times when we read this story or teach on this story, we talk about the physical healing and rightfully so. Other times when you read this story, you focus on the phrase, their faith. When Jesus saw their faith. I don't know if you've ever thought about that, but that's always been interesting to me that, that when Jesus saw the faith of these four men who brought their friend to Jesus, he healed this, this young man. And we talk about their faith and how they were committed and how they were determined and dedicated to get their friend to Jesus. They realize, my friend needs Jesus. He needs a physical touch. Maybe he needs salvation. Maybe he's lost. Maybe he's addicted to drugs. He needs to be at the feet of Jesus. And so they were determined that nothing is going to stop us. We're going to get him to Jesus. And even though they may have traveled for miles to get him there, when they got there, the house was crowded with people and they couldn't get to where Jesus was. And they were so determined, we're not going to let this stop us. We're going to get John to Jesus. And so they go up on the roof. Some translations say they tore the roof apart. And they, they didn't vandalize, okay? Because a, a lot of times people will justify destruction in the name of getting someone to Jesus. They just, the way the homes were built, there were tiles that were laid and overlapped, and they just removed one of the tiles and lowered this man to the feet of Jesus. So when we read this story, a lot of times we focus on either the healing of the physical man or we focus on the faith or the commitment and dedication of these four individuals. But today, what I want to focus on is the line that Jesus spoke that caused the Pharisees to say, He said, What? And that line is found in verse number 20. And we're going to read that again this morning. It says this, that Jesus said to the man, remember this man is paralyzed, he says, young man, your sins are forgiven. Now when he says this, obviously, now they didn't say word for word, he said what, but the Pharisee says, who does he think he is? What, what did he just say? Did he really just say that I'm forgiven you of, of, of your sins? Only God has the power to forgive sins. What did he say? He said, what? And so they were, they were really blown away by what Jesus said to this young man. Now, there's not a lot, a lot of history about this young man. Now, you can read about this, and I believe in two other of the Gospels, you can read the same story of this, this paralytic man that was healed by Jesus. We don't know a lot of history about him, but I think it's safe to assume that he's, he's been this way for, for quite some time. Um, no doubt he uh, um, spends pretty much every moment of the day laying on this mat. His mobility and transportation is dependent upon other people to take him places, as we see in this particular instance, that um, he couldn't get to, even if he wanted to get to Jesus, he couldn't have got to him unless someone would take him there. And so, no doubt, he's spending every moment of his life probably just in agony and in misery. He probably has a desire to be normal, don't you think? He has a desire to be healthy. I'm sure he's, he's thinking all the time about all these other people who can walk and who have a normal life and who are whole and who are healthy, but yet he can't have that. And so I'm sure he spends all day long just thinking about what it would be like to be able to walk. It's very important to see that when his friends get him to Jesus, and you would think that Jesus would, would know that, that this man's desire is to walk and to be whole. And, but when they lay him down in front of Jesus, Jesus doesn't immediately heal him. In fact, 
he initiates the conversation by saying something really completely contrary to what that young man was there for. No doubt the young man is there to be healed physically. But Jesus initiates the conversation by saying, young man, your sins are forgiven. Have you ever thought about why Jesus said that? If you've read that before, have you ever thought, why did he say that? Now, obvious, and, and, and Jesus even goes on to say that he does say this to prove that the Son of Man has the power to forgive sins. I mean, if he can heal, then surely he has power to forgive sins. Now, it's, it's obvious that, that that's why he was saying it. And, and I believe that that's probably... The, the main reason why Jesus said that, but I believe that there's something deeper to be discovered here. I believe by looking and saying that Jesus said that only so that he could prove that he had the power to forgive sins, I believe that when we see it that way, we're only scratching the surface, that there is a deeper meaning to what Jesus was saying to this young man. Here is a young man that is sick and paralyzed, and Jesus says to him, your sins are forgiven. I just wonder if this young man was insulted by what Jesus said. I mean, let's think about it. He's here. He's come all this way. He's paralyzed. He needs a physical healing. And Jesus doesn't even say anything about his physical impairment. He doesn't say anything about his physical disability. Instead, he says, young man, your sins are forgiven. I wonder if that was insulting to him. I wonder if he was disappointed. I wonder if he felt shortchanged that that, yeah, he may have been forgiven, but he still wasn't healed. Let's think about that for a second. How, how would you feel? You, you've got this physical impairment, this disability. You've had it for years, and you're coming to Jesus to be healed. But when you get there, and you see Jesus, the first words out of his mouth are not stand up and, and, and walk. You're healed. The first words out of his mouth are, your sins are forgiven. I think the deeper meaning was that, that Jesus was answering some internal questions that this young man may have had. I think that this young man is probably experiencing some guilt and some shame for maybe, maybe why he's this way, and we'll get into that here in a second. Possibly there were some things that he had done that had led to this, and maybe he's feeling guilty for that. Maybe he's feeling ashamed. Maybe he's even wondering, do I deserve a healing? And I think Jesus knew that. I think he knew that this young man was wrestling with some thoughts of, of guilt and shame. So Jesus speaks this to him. My son, your sins are forgiven. You see that in those days, the Jewish mindset was that any physical abnormality or any sort of sickness was the judgment of God for serious past sin. That was the mindset. In fact, in John chapter number 9, verses 1 and 2, we see that even Jesus' own disciples struggled with this mindset. Look at this. It says, as Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Rabbi, which means teacher, teacher, his disciples asked him, why was this man born blind? Watch this. Was it because of his own sins or the sins of his parents? See, that was the mindset. If someone is sick, then they've sinned. Or their parents have sinned. If someone has a disease that they were crippled, that was the mindset. That they, were, they were in this condition because of something they had done or something their parents had done. 
And Jesus, in this particular case of the blind man, he corrects their thinking. He goes on to say, no, no, it's, it's not. His sickness is not a result of his sin or the parent's sin. And then he says something along these lines. This sickness was to bring glory to God, and, and then Jesus heals him. But I do believe that, as we're going to read here in just a second, that there are some physical problems, there are some sicknesses that are the direct result of sin. For example, look at John chapter 5, verse 14. Here is a different man that was paralyzed who was before Jesus. Now, this is, this is not the same man that we're reading about in, in, in our opening story. This is a different man. Here is a man that was paralyzed, and look what Jesus says to him. After Jesus heals him, he says this, Now you are well, so do what? Stop sinning, or something even worse may happen to you. I believe that it is implied quite well here that this paralyzed condition of this man right here that Jesus just healed was a result of past sin. It was a result of some bad decisions. Otherwise, Jesus would not have said what he did. He heals him and he says, now you've got to stop sinning or else something even worse is going to happen. I think that it's safe to assume that a lot of the physical disabilities, maybe back then and even today, a lot of the sicknesses, a lot of the misfortune, a lot of the dire circumstances, a lot of the desperate situations are brought on by bad choices and past sins. I know this isn't popular teaching, and I do want you to hear me. I am not saying this morning that if you are sick, that there's sin in your life. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that if you have some sort of disability that, that, that you have sin or your parents sinned. I'm not saying that if you're in some sort of misfortune or, or, or desperate circumstance that, that it was because of sin. I'm not saying that. But I am saying that a lot of the things that we struggle with, a lot of the sicknesses, a lot of misfortune, a lot of difficult circumstances are brought on by sin. Mistakes that we make. When we fail God, there are consequences. And I think a lot of times, I could spend a lot of time here, I think a lot of times people are blaming God over, over certain things, and, and really it's not, it, it doesn't have anything to do with that. It was about our choices that we've made. And we find ourselves in these dire situations, these desperate situations. And I think that's what's going on. I, I believe that after reading this about the paralyzed man in John chapter 5, I believe that, it's, that we could fairly assume that the paralyzed man who's being lowered by his four friends, I think it's safe to assume that he may have done some things in his life that brought about this paralysis. Why else would Jesus say, your sins are forgiven? I think this young man was struggling with some past sin. I think he was probably questioning, if I even get to Jesus, is he even going to heal me? Because all of this is my fault. I brought all this on myself. I caused this. I made some bad choices that led to this. Is, is Jesus even going to heal me? And I think it's safe to assume the reason Jesus began his conversation by saying, young man, your sins are forgiven, is because he knew that this young man was weighed down by a burden of guilt which he had carried for many years. So to hear the Lord say, young man, your sins are forgiven, I believe it lifted a load 
a great load from this man's guilty conscience. I want to show you something in Scripture here. Back in verse 19 of Luke chapter number 5. It says that they, speaking of these four friends, they lowered the, the sick man on his mat down into the crowd right in front of Jesus. So we know that, that this man is sick and he's paralyzed. And, and, and I, want you, I want us to think, know, I know I'm kind of reading a lot into this, but, but, but please hear me out here. Is it possible that, that his sickness brought on the, the paralysis? And is it possible that his sickness was the result of some serious sin or some past failures. And, and I want to I spend some time on this because I, I think that, that we don't really understand the devastation of sin. There's, there's an old saying that says, sin will take you farther than you ever wanted to go. It will keep you longer than you ever wanted to stay and it will cost you more than you ever wanted to pay. But, but, but people don't just, you know, they don't just go steal something just in a moment's notice. It's a, there's a slow fade. There's some things that happen. There's some, there's some walls that are crushed. There's some barriers that are, that are removed to, to, to keep them from, to, to, to keep them uh, from, from going down the straight path. They, they get off track with God and they, it's a slow fade that starts happening. So possibly this young man's sin, it brought about this sickness. And maybe instead of the sickness getting his attention so that he could repent maybe he just goes on sinning and keeps doing it and that sickness has led to this paralysis now he's wrestling with the fact that he'll never be whole again this sickness is all his fault his paralysis is all his fault his misfortune is all his fault his failed marriage is all his fault his broken family is all his fault his failure to be a good husband is all his fault his failure to be a good father is all his fault and the guilt and shame that he's carrying makes him feel as though it's impossible to ever be whole again so knowing that this young man is wrestling with this in his head Jesus says Young man, your sins are forgiven. Wow. He's struggling with it. Can I, can I ever be whole again? I brought this on myself. So Jesus starts the, the conversation by saying, Young man, I, I just want you to know that I forgive you. I just want you to know that I forgive you. Here's a spiritual lesson here, and you might want to write this down. Before you can be whole, you have to know you've been forgiven. Before you can be whole, you have to know that you have been forgiven. You can try to get well physically. You can try to get well spiritually. You can try to get well emotionally. You can try to get well relationally. But until you understand how God sees you, you will never be fully whole. Until you understand that God has forgiven you, you'll never walk again. Until you know that God is not holding your past against you, you'll remain in a paralyzed condition. You have to know that God has forgiven you. Well, that's great for you to say, Pastor, but how do I know that I've been forgiven by God? I'm glad you asked, because I'm going to give you three steps to know that God has forgiven you. And man, I would encourage you, please write these down, because people struggle with knowing whether or not God has forgiven them. So how do I know that God has forgiven me? Number one, you have to know the love of the Father. Know the love of the Father. I think this is very fitting as to what Pastor Brad preached last week. I mean, he, he, he preached the love of the Father like 
like it needed to be preached. I mean, that's what the message was, the love of the Father. Whether you're in a group of 100, whether you're in a group of 10, whether you're with just one other person, God is coming after you if you're lost. He loves you. You have to know the love of the Father. That no matter how far that we run, no matter how deep in sin that we may get, God still loves us. No matter how big of a mess that we make of our lives, God loves us. No matter where we've been or what we've done or or how, how much of a mess that we've made of our lives, God still loves us. His love for us is unconditional. You, you, have, to, you have to know this. I, I mean, I'm, a, I'm an earthly father. I have two children. I have an 18-year-old and a 13-year-old, and both of them are right here, Lakin and Seth. And I just want you to know, and I'm going to tell my kids this, and I think they already know this, but there is nothing that you guys can do that would make me stop loving you. Nothing. Sure, they disappoint me. Sure, they can get under my skin. Sure, they can drive me crazy and cause me stress and disappoint me. But there is nothing that they could ever do that would cause me to stop loving them. Nothing. You know why? Because they're my children. They're my flesh and blood. I love them with unconditional love. If I love my children that much, if you love your own children that much, how much greater is the love of our Heavenly Father? whose love is perfect, who is love, by the way. It's not just something he gives, it's who he is. There is nothing, nothing, nothing that can separate you from the love of God. And you have to know that. Because some of you this morning, you've made some bad choices. Some of you have have, have done some serious sin and, and it's brought on some consequences. And if you're not careful, the guilt and shame and regret will plague you like it was this paralyzed man. And you will think that there is no way that God would love you anymore. Nothing could be further from the truth. His love for you is unconditional. Look what the Apostle Paul says about this in Romans 8, 35 through 39. He says, can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we're having difficulties? Because I've made a mess in my life, does that mean that he doesn't love me anymore? If I'm persecuted, if I'm hungry, if I'm destitute, if I'm in danger, if I'm threatened with death, does that mean that God doesn't love me anymore? Verse 37, no, despite all of these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. Verse 38, And I am convinced, this is the place that you got to get to. You have to be convinced that nothing, everybody say nothing. Nothing can ever separate me from God's love. And then he begins to list some things that, that you might think could. He says, neither death nor life nor angels nor demons nor, nor fears for today or worries about tomorrow. No stress, nothing. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, look, what's this word here? Nothing in all of creation will ever be able to separate me from the love of God which has been revealed in Christ Jesus, my Lord. You have to, if you're going to know that you've been forgiven by God, the very first thing you have to know is how much that God loves you. He's not mad at you. He's not holding your past against you. He just wants you to come home. You saw this last week. And uh, Pastor Brad, I'm going to keep bringing up your message, but the young man, he ran away. But his father never stopped loving him. And when that, when that young man realized he'd come to his senses, when he realized that he'd made a mess, you know, he was saying, if I could just go home, I'll be a slave. I'll do whatever you want. The, the, 
the father's there with arms wide open, said, no, you're, you're my son. We're going to celebrate because you've come home. He just wants you to come home. Which is the second step. Number two, you have to know the process for forgiveness. If you're going to know that you've been forgiven by God, number one, you have to know how much he loves you, and number two, you have to know the process for forgiveness. What's that process? 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 says this. If we confess our sins to him, he is what? Next slide there. He is, he is faithful. Everybody say he's faithful. Come on, I'm not convinced you, you believe that. He's faithful. My God is faithful. If I confess my sins, he is faithful and just to forgive my sins and to cleanse me from all wickedness. He is faithful to forgive and to cleanse but there's a process. And that process is in the very first part of that verse. If we confess our sins to him. The process for forgiveness is confession and repentance. And confession is more than just admitting. It's a step towards changing. Confession is more than just Admitting confession is a step towards changing. And let me give you an example. I, I'm not going to disclose all my past, but in my late teenage years and early 20s, I was a heathen. That's just to put it nicely. A lot of people won't come to this church because they knew me uh, prior to Jesus. <laughs> and they think that there's no way that he could you know, be living for God. Yeah, there is. God, God's power is good. Um, but late teenage years, early 20s years, I was a, I mean, I was a type that I'd party and drink and smoke and just do all the things associated with that. That was my life. But I had been in church, and I knew enough about God. I didn't know God, but I knew enough about God that I felt guilty every night when I'd lay down my head to go to sleep. I would pray, dear Jesus, please forgive me. Don't let me die in my sleep. I don't want to go to hell. I'm sorry for what I've done tonight. Please forgive me. But yet, knowing good and well, I would be right back in that same sin the very next night. And see, what I thought I was doing, I thought I was praying a prayer of, of confession. But my prayer of confession, so to speak, had nothing to do with change. It was all about guilt relief. I just don't want to feel guilty. I want to be able to sleep knowing that if I die, I'm going to go to heaven. Because I prayed. I confessed. And I think this is a huge problem for a lot of people today. Their idea of confession is really just guilt relief. They just want to feel better. They just want that, that, that conscience to be cleared. But there's no desire for change. They think that simply confessing to God is enough. But what about the damage that you've done? What about the hurt that you've caused toward other people? What about the person that you've wronged? If you, I'm just here to tell you, if you've wronged someone, you've got to make it right with them as well. As much as it's within your power to do so, you've got to make it right with them as well. God's forgiveness doesn't erase our responsibility for what we've done. It's quiet in here. He forgives us, but there's still a responsibility for the consequences that we've brought on. There's still a responsibility for as much as within our power to, to make things right. In fact, I believe that his forgiveness should compel us to make things right. 
I'll give you an example. We're going to read it here in a second. But there's a story in Luke chapter 19 where there was a, a tax collector by the name of Zacchaeus. And tax collectors in those days, and maybe even today, I'm not sure, but tax collectors in those days were, were looked at as, as notorious sinners because they would cheat people out of money. They would take advantage of elderly and the uneducated who didn't know how taxes work, and they would charge them more money, and they were, they were stealing from people. They were crooked people. They were evil. They were wicked. And there's this tax collector named Zacchaeus who one day, he, y'all know the story, he climbs up in a tree to see Jesus and Jesus comes by and says, Zacchaeus, come down, I want to go to your house. And, and they have this conversation and Zacchaeus ends up giving, getting saved. He gives his life to Jesus. But there's something that notable that happens there that, that is proof that Zacchaeus was saved. Watch this. In Luke 19, verse 8 through 9, it says this, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord, he stood before Jesus and he said this, I will give half of my wealth to the poor, Lord. Watch this. And if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Do you, do you see the willingness to change? Do you see the willingness to make things right? See, he confessed to the Lord, the Lord had forgiven him. And this, this, this feeling of forgiveness that he's now experiencing is compelling him to go make things right. And Jesus responded, watch this, salvation has come to this home today. In other words, I know you're saved because you have a desire to change. See, confession is associated with change. Repentance. Repentance is a, is a change of mind. It's a change of behavior. It's a, it's a 180. You were going this way. Now you're going this way. It's change. It's not just confessing and keep going. And when you confess your sins to God, there must be a willingness to change. If not, there's no repentance. Therefore, there's no forgiveness. Are you hearing me this morning? When you repent, when you come to Jesus, you confess your sins, there has to be a willingness to change. That's why Jesus, he taught, several different things come to mind, but one, he talks about if you want to save your life, you've got to lose it. You've got to let go of it. You've got to let go of the way you've been living. You've got to follow after me. If you're going to come after me, you've got to say no to self. You've got to take up your cross and follow me. There's not, a, there's not a bring Jesus along on your journey. It's no, I'm stopping the way I'm going and I'm following Jesus. Confession is associated with change. Back to this story of this paralytic man. I've I got to hurry, I know. I've I got 17 more pages that I've got to get through. <laughs> this story of this paralytic man in Luke chapter number 5, this is huge, okay? Verse 19 again. They lowered the sick man on his mat down into the crowd right in front of Jesus. I've highlighted that phrase because in front of Jesus, that's a picture of coming to Christ. That's a picture of confession. He's coming before Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the man, Young man, your sins are forgiven. Now watch this. Watch this. After Jesus tells the young man he's been forgiven, he tells him to do something else next. Verse 24, then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, now stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And immediately as everyone watched, the man jumped up, picked up his mat, and went home praising God. Here's the picture again. Jesus tells him his sins are forgiven. The Pharisees are making a big stink about this. So Jesus turns and addresses the Pharisees and explains why he's doing this. Then he turns back to the man who he's just forgiven and he says, now stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. There's a spiritual lesson here. 
And the lesson is this, that not only do we need to be cleansed from our sins, but we also need to be healed from the paralyzing effects of those sins. There are a lot of people who've been forgiven by God. Their sins have been forgiven, but they remain paralyzed because of the effects of those sins. They're par- paralyzed by regret. They're paralyzed by shame. They're paralyzed by guilt. They're paralyzed by fear. And God is saying to you, if that fits you this morning, He's saying to you, stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. Stop beating yourself up. Stop playing the role of a victim. Stop living as though life is never going to get any better. Stand up, pick up your mat. And walk. Sure, it's not going to be easy, but you got to keep walking. Sure, you're going to have doubts from time to time, but you got to keep walking. Sure, there's going to be moments when you want to lay back down on that mat of shame and that mat of pity and cry and misery, but God's saying you got to keep walking. Stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. That's the process. That's the process. I know that God loves me. I know I've been forgiven, so I'm going to to walk. Man, you could, I could sit here and tell you countless stories in the Bible of men who failed God miserably. But they confessed and God used them for the rest of the second half of their life. He used them mightily. David is one that comes to mind. David was a man after God's own heart and he failed God miserably. But he confessed and he repented. There was true confession. Lord, please don't remove your Holy Spirit from me. God, please forget. Restore the joy of my salvation. There was, there was a true desire to change, and God used him mightily. There are a lot of people today, right now, even some of you in this room, there's been some serious bad choices in your life that have led to dire consequences. And, and, and maybe God has forgiven you. Maybe you know that, but you don't know it well enough to know that now he's called you to stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. You're living, you're paralyzed by guilt. You're paralyzed by shame. You're, you're living in regret every day of your life. And God is saying, you got to stand up. you gotta, you got to move. you got to walk. I want to use you. Yes, you've made some mistakes, but I can work things to your good. I can take what the enemy meant for bad and I can work it for good. So this morning, hear me, if you're struggling with guilt and shame from past sin, I want you to know a very important truth. Jesus doesn't stop after he cancels your sin. He also desires to free you from guilt. That's the picture that I see in this story of the paralyzed man. Jesus forgives him because he knows he's struggling. He's wrestling with Thoughts in his mind. I deserve this. I brought this on myself. Jesus forgives him. Now the young man's been forgiving. Now Jesus says, now you got to get up. Pick up this mat, this, this thing that you've been laying on, and walk. Move. Move. These are the two steps. You must never forget these things. Know the love of the Father. Know the process of forgiveness. You said, well, Pastor Scott, I thought you said there were three steps. Yes, here's the third one. Never forget steps one and two. I'm telling you, never forget steps one and two. People are going to talk about you. People know what you have done. And they're going to talk about you. And they're going to gossip and they're going to spread rumors. And they're going to say, oh, did you hear about so-and-so? You know he did this. You know she did this, right? I'm just telling you, you might as well get ready. People are going to talk about you. But never forget steps one and two. Know how much God loves you and know that he has forgiven you. 
know the process. Well, what is the process? I've got to confess myself. Have I done that? Yes, I've done that. Then I'm forgiven. Yes, they're going to talk, but I'm going to keep walking. The enemy is going to, he's going to whisper words in your ear, maybe even yell words in your ear to tell you that you're a failure, that you've ruined your life, that you've made a mess of things and things will never improve, things will never get better. This is your plight in life now. You might as well just end it. It's, it's as good as it's ever going to get for you. I'm here to tell you, the devil is a liar. Condemnation will plague you. But the Bible says in Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. To those who understand I've been forgiven. To those who understand the process and they've put their faith in, 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 in hopes in Jesus Christ. You are not condemned. God is not holding your past against you. There's freedom there. have to remember God loves me he's forgiven me and I refuse to be paralyzed on this mat I refuse to be paralyzed by my past I don't know what my new life is going to look like but I'm trusting that God is going to work everything out my, my trust is in God instead of letting guilt and shame paralyze you let your struggles bring you closer to God and heighten your faith as you experience his faithfulness through forgiveness my son, your sins are forgiven. My daughter, your sins are forgiven. <laughs> Isn't that beautiful? I want you to close your eyes and bow your head this morning. I'm going to ask our, our elder team just, just to come and position yourself at the front and just be ready to pray with people. But as I pray this morning in closing, I just, I just want you to Ask the Holy Spirit what He's speaking to you through this message. Holy Spirit, what are you speaking to me? Some of you already know. You, you've, been, you've been feeling it as I've been preaching this. You know that, that God is speaking to you, that you've been forgiven, that He loves you, that He's not mad at you, He's not angry at you. He has great things in store for you, but you've got to get over what you've done. You've got to get over this guilt. You've got to get over this shame. And the process for that is just bring it to Jesus. And as I pray this morning, I just want you to begin to pray there in your seat and ask the Lord to search your heart and do the work that only He can do this morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank You so much, Lord, for the Word of God. Lord, our declaration that we say from time to time is that Your Word is life and a transforming power that brings results. It produces results, God. Lord, I'm living proof of that. I know that Your Word is, has brought transforming power to my life. It's produced results. God, I'm not perfect, but I'm forgiven. And I thank you for that. And God, I know that there are people that are in this room, people that will watch this online, God, who are struggling with guilt, who are battling shame. God, it has them paralyzed. Yes, they may be a Christian. They may be on their way to heaven, but but the guilt and the shame that they're wrestling with over their past choices, over their serious sins, is weighing them down to where they are not willing to stand up and walk and move forward and seek out the next chapter of their life that you have for them. And I pray that this morning, God, that the, that the boast of sin in the grave, as we sung about earlier, has been canceled. Lord, that you would cancel that voice in their life. You would drown out that voice in in their life with words of hope and affirmation that you love them, that you've forgiven them, and that you still have a great story to write in their lives. 
Lord, I pray that, that you would draw all people to you this morning. And if anyone needs prayer, God, that they would just come and, and receive that prayer today and, and uh, let your Holy Spirit minister to their lives in Jesus' name.